Morning. Morning. Thanks for coming. Because, you know, I mean, it's the day after Christmas. You, Some of you were hung over, I know, so. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding you. It was, though, interesting that the most crowded store was the liquor store right before, I mean, as far as what I heard. <laughs> uh, Christmas. I, it is the day after Christmas, and I was thinking about, you know, like giving everyone a gift. And uh, I thought about maybe like having everyone put their head down and close their eyes like when you were in kindergarten. So, and then I would come out and tap a couple people on the shoulder and they get to leave early. But uh, <laughs> my wife said that would not be good. Uh, so I, I have to listen to her. It it's really is a wonderful privilege for me to be here. Uh, it's just, uh, I've been here like the last Sunday of the year for a long, for years, five, six years, maybe now. And uh, I counted a real privilege uh, to listen to Ryan and the worship man. Ryan's such a treasure. Uh, he's a great student in my classes and a great, great person to know. And so I'm, I'm glad to be here, and I hope that the Lord will bless us as we look at his word. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful to you for who you are and for what you've done, and we're thankful for the the great and the many blessings that you give us. We're thankful that you divide our time up into years so that we come to the end of one and the beginning of another. And we pray that you will bless us now as we look at your word, that we will realize that these are your very words. And that you are a God who not only listens to us, but that you are a God who speaks to us. And we pray that you will speak to us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I I still remember the conversation from years ago. It was, uh, I was pastor of a small church, and this a woman came to me, her husband was an alcoholic, she was doing all that she could to try to keep her kids in school and to do the right things and to bring them to church. And she came to me and she said, you know, it just doesn't seem fair. I, I do all that I can to try to do the right thing and to serve the Lord and to keep my kids in school and all of that. And yet I look around at other people who aren't trying to do the right thing And it seems like they're having less trouble than I am. And she said, I've heard some preachers on television and on the radio say that if you, if you believe in Christ and you turn your life over to Christ, then all your problems will be taken care of. And unfortunately, I had to tell her that that's a lie, that that's not true, that we do indeed still have problems. And today, I want us to think about the problems that we have had in the past year and perhaps the problems that we will have in the coming year, hopefully there'll be different kind of problems of some sort. And I want us to think about what Jesus said to his disciples as he was sending them out on their mission. And I want us to think about how that reflects on each of us and how each of us ought to think through our new mission of the new year. And Jesus says this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. He's speaking to them, 
And he says, this is the way that I'm going to send you out. This is the mission that you have. And so we'll read Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16, and see what it is that Jesus had to say about going out on the new mission, just as we come together here and we gather together on this last Sunday of the year, recognizing that the next time that we meet together on a Sunday, it will be a new year. This is what Jesus had to say. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it's not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is to the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you that you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Those are the words of Jesus. And just as Jesus was sending out his disciples at the time that he spoke these words, he's sending us out on another mission of a new year. And we ought to look and see what it is that Jesus has to say in the in this passage and what it is that we can learn from it about how we should go out into the new year. I think there are three things that Jesus says in this passage that help us to understand how we can be better servants of the kingdom as we go out into the new year. The first is that Jesus sends his people. That's the first thing he does. You'll notice in verse 16, he says, behold, I send you out. And so Jesus is sending his people out. We all have a job that that we do for the Lord. And you realize that we, whenever you ask someone in today's culture about what's your vocation, often they will say, well, you know, I have this, but I'm looking for a better job. I don't really like that. But in Latin, the word vocation meant your calling, vocatio in Latin is call. So when someone says, this is my vocation, what they're saying is, this is my calling. This is what God has called me to do. What I'm doing is what God has called me to do. And all of us have a calling. It's not just ministers that have a calling. Uh, that was one of the great things that came out of the Reformation. It was the breaking down of the wall between the, the priest and the believer. And the, the Luther and others broke down that wall by saying that whatever it is that God has called you to do, it's critically important that you do it. And that if God called everyone to be ministers it'd be, nobody would be, nobody go to church. I mean, yeah, be, you'd just be one guy there by himself and his wife, I guess, maybe his kids. 
That'd be it. So everybody can't be called to be a minister. There must be other callings, and clearly there are. And, you know, Luther will talk about the calling of the cobbler is as great as the calling of the ministry. We don't have cobblers, you know, in our culture. We just buy another pair of shoes. But, in you know, what Luther was saying was regardless of what kind of a job you have, if it is that which God has called you to, then it's really significant. It's important. It's, it's, it's what you ought to be doing. And you ought not to think of your calling as lower than someone else's calling because you're doing what God has told you to do. And so you might think to yourself, what is it that God has called me to do? What is my vocation? What is my calling? And Jesus tells us a little bit about this calling that he's going to send his disciples on. He tells them about the nature of the journey in the first part of verse 16. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's that's a pretty terrifying metaphor, sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep, I've heard, I've never owned a sheep, but I wanted a monkey for Christmas, but I didn't get it. Uh, My wife said we have a son, and their rooms smell the same, so it's pretty much the same. I've never really owned a sheep, but I hear, and from the reading I've done about sheep, is that they are really dumb. You know, they can't find their way home. That's why you have very often in the New Testament, the shepherd has to go out and look for the sheep who gets lost and can't find his way home. They have no sense of self-protection. They have, they can't defend themselves in any way. They are pretty much utterly defenseless. And so Jesus says, I'm going to send you out and you're going to be like these sheep. You're dumb, you're defenseless, but as if that's not enough, I'm going to send you out, he says, in the midst of wolves. And what could be worse to a sheep than to be sent out in the midst of wolves? It's a terribly frightening kind of an image to think about. Uh, to be bitten by a wolf. I've never been bitten by a wolf. Uh, I've been bitten by a beagle, uh, and it's it's not pleasant, I can tell you. Uh, I have beagle marks on my wallet and on one of these shoes, and, you know, and even when we're playing, my beagle and I, he happens to nip at me accidentally. It's painful, and he's a little tiny guy. I can imagine what a big wolf whose jaws are designed to tear other animals apart. You can imagine what that would be like. And yet Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. Essentially, he's saying, you're not going to be able to take care of yourself. If you think that you're going to be able to solve your own problems, then you're going to you're doomed for failure. You have to depend on someone else. The sheep have to depend on someone else. They have to depend upon their shepherd. Not only does he tell us about the nature of this journey, but it tells us about the requirements for the journey in this, in the second part of verse 16. He says, be shrewd as serpent and innocent as doves. Essentially what he's saying here is that you need two different kinds of character traits. The first is wisdom. And he says you need to be wise as serpents is the way that the King James translates it. 
New American Standard translates it shrewd, but it's still that kind of wisdom that essentially probably harkens back to the serpent in uh, Genesis 3, where he comes to the woman, and he's very crafty. Remember, the serpent was the most crafty of the animals. He comes there, and he, he, in some sense, tricks Eve into disobeying God. Now, which is not to say that she didn't know that she was being disobedient, but which is to say that he, he was crafty about the way that he did it. And so, Jesus says that we want to be crafty or wise, but that's not enough. We also need to be innocent as doves. And so, Jesus is saying that you you need two things. You need wisdom, but you, in addition to wisdom, you also need integrity or innocence. The problem often in the church is that you have lots of people with one or the other. There are, there are people who are very crafty, but often they don't have the integrity that they should. And there are other people who are full of integrity, but they don't have much wisdom. Jesus is saying we need to have both of those, that this wisdom and integrity form a crucial combination. And it's a crucial combination that's not often found in the work of the church, but it ought to be that all of us ought to think to ourselves, what is the best way that I can be a servant of God? That's the wisdom. And what is the most honest way that I can be a servant of God? That's the integrity. Too often, I'm afraid, we draw attention to ourselves as Christians, not because of our wisdom, but because of our stupidity. And that's not a good thing. You know, there are people out there who think, you know, I'm going to, I won't even, I'm going to do whatever that will draw national attention to me or to my church, and that way lots of people will come to respect the gospel. But a lot of people just say, that guy's an idiot, and I don't know who would go to his church. You see, Jesus is saying to us, we need to be a different kind of people, a people who have wisdom and who have innocence, who have shrewdness and who have integrity. And so Jesus sends His people just as He's sending us, every one of us, when we begin the new year, we're beginning it, we're starting off on a, a new sort of track, you know, the, 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 the old Roman the picture of the, of the new and the old year where the old year was just doddering old man who could barely walk, and the new year was a baby. And so the old man is spent, the new year is just now beginning, and Jesus is sending us all out unto our vocation to do that which God has called us to do. But that's not the only thing that Jesus does. He doesn't just send His people, but there's a second thing that you'll see in this passage. And that is that not only does Jesus send His people, but Jesus warns His people. He says to them, listen, this is not going to be the the easy journey that you might think. And you'll see this in, in verses 17 and 18. He says, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. 
You might not be familiar with the term scourge. You might be, but the scourge was a handle, and it was about the size, they say, of a, like a hairbrush. Which I, I don't use a hairbrush, but, you know, it's, it's about that size. And so they, they would then, on the scourge would be these strips of leather, sometimes six or seven, often nine. And at the end of this leather would be these bits of, sometimes little bits of glass, bits of animal bone, uh, sharpened stone, whatever they might be. And the leather was long enough so that when the person was whipped with the scourge, the bits of glass or whatever would dig into the, their skin and the, the, the whipping person would jerk the scourge and it would tear off the skin. It's not just a, a little whipping. Being scourged could kill someone. That's the reason that in Deuteronomy there's, there's a law about you cannot scourge a person more than four, with 40 stripes. And uh, Paul says that he was beaten with 40 stripes, saved one. That is uh, 39 stripes. And uh, there's a, in the Mishnah, which is a, a Jewish literature from about 200 AD that tried to clarify some of the laws, they were only allowed to beat a person 39 times. I, I think in case somebody lost count or something, you'd know that you hadn't broken the law after, at the end of the 39 times. And so there's this physical punishment. There's this scourging. They're literally being beaten within an inch of their life. Like your mother used to say to you, I'll beat you within an inch of your life. Well, my mother used to say that to me. I'll beat you within an inch of your life. She never did, um, but she maybe should have. But uh, she would say that. And it, that, I think, is where it comes from. You're being beaten within a stripe of your life. Uh, Martin Hingle has this little book on crucifixion, and in it he talks about scourging and some of the Second Temple sources that we have for people who were scourged and how that some people died from the scourging and some, he describes one case in which a, a man's internal organs were hanging out as a result of the scourging. It was a terrible, terrible thing to be scourged. And you know that <clears throat> Matthew uses a very interesting way of stating this, he says in verse 17, they will scourge you in their synagogues. Jesus is speaking to Jewish people. And so you might ask yourself, why would it be, why wouldn't he say they will scourge you in our synagogues? He says they will scourge you in their synagogues because apparently following Christ had become such an affront that it had there had been a parting of the ways between Judaism and Christianity. And you realize that Christianity is eminently Jewish, that in, in a sense, all that we are are followers of the Jewish Messiah. And yet somehow there had been a parting of the ways, and so the synagogues were no longer their synagogues. That is, those people who followed Christ, they were someone else's. They were being beaten in someone else's synagogues. They couldn't even call their own synagogue their home anymore. He tells them that not only will they be beaten, but there will be governmental condemnation. In verse 18, he says, you'll be brought before governors, you'll be brought before kings for my sake. Jesus is not saying it's, a, it's an honor to get arrested. He's saying it's only an honor to get arrested if 
you do it for the sake of the Lord. There are lots of reasons that do not please Christ for which one could be taken in front of the government. But here Jesus says, makes it very clear, you will be taken before them for my name's sake as a testimony to the Gentiles. What he's saying is this journey that you are about to start off on will be difficult. It will be uh, a sort of a time of exile, of wandering around, a time when you don't seem quite to be at home because you're on that journey doing what you've been called to do. And it gets, in some sense, even worse in verse 21 when Jesus tells us that brothers will speak against brother. Brother will betray a brother to death, and a a father will betray his child, and a child will betray his parents. And we have in in Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, he talks about how at a time when uh, the Roman government was quick to clamp down on anything that seemed that it was not good, not worshiping all the gods of Rome, that oftentimes a brother would betray his own brother to save his own life, or a sister would betray her own sister in order to save his own life, or a parent would betray their child or a child their parent just to save their own life. And there's this, there's obviously this it's so hideous because we can expect some people to do us wrong. And that, you know, it comes with the territory. But here, Jesus says, the people whom you least expect it from, they'll do you wrong. The people whom you would least expect to sell you out, to give you up, they will do it in the end. And it's a very, very uh, difficult journey that they're being sent on. And eventually there will be, Jesus says, even hatred. He says in verse 22, you'll be hated by all because of my name. Hated by all. There's this community of hatred. And the cause of the hatred is in the second part of that 22nd verse, because of my name. It's not because you've done something foolish, not because you've tried to draw all kinds of attention to yourself by acting out in some way, but it's because of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's critically important. And so Jesus doesn't send us on this journey of the new year without telling us it's going to be difficult. There are going to be problems. You're not going to walk through the new year as if there's no problem at all. admits, fully admits to his disciples that he's sending out that they're going to have problems. He warns them about that. So Jesus first sends his people. He second warns his people. And then the third thing that Jesus does in this passage, and perhaps the most important, is that Jesus promises his people. You'll notice Jesus promises several different things. In verse 19, he promises them a word. He says, when you're arrested and you go before these governors, don't plan out what you're going to say. Just stand up there, and the Holy Spirit will give you whatever you're supposed to say. Now, that's not an excuse for, you know, ministers not to plan what they're going to say or Sunday school teachers not to plan what they're going to say, even though I've been that guy 
not planning what I was going to say. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's simply saying, listen, when you get arrested and you're in the worst possible situation that you could ever think of in your life, I'll be there with you and I'll tell you what to say. He promises not only the word, but he promises salvation. You'll notice that he says in verse 22, the one who has endured to the end will be saved. Now that doesn't mean Jesus is not saying here that there are going to be some of these people who are going to lose their salvation. That's not what we should infer from this passage. What Jesus is implying is that those who finish show by their finishing that they are really members of the kingdom of God. And those who quit the vocation that God has called them to, or those who quit the following of Jesus Christ, show by their quitting that they are not really members of the kingdom of God. It's not the work that does anything for us. No one here becomes a member of the kingdom of God because of what you've done. Nobody. We become a member of the kingdom of God because of what Jesus did. And he, he gives that all to us. It's an amazing thing, you see, that we have been given the righteousness of Christ, not because we deserve it, but because that's what he does. And that he will give us the strength to finish because we cannot finish on our own. It's an amazing thing that Jesus promises. So he promises the word, he promises salvation, and then the last thing that he promises is he promises his coming. You'll notice in the last part of the last verse that we read together, there's a very strange sort of enigmatic statement on the part of Jesus. He begins the verse by saying, whenever I, they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. So he's saying, listen, if you can get out of being beaten, it's fine. Do it. Get away from those authorities if you can. He says, for truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now that raises some questions for us, doesn't it? Because we would think that by 2,000 years later, they had finished going through the cities of Israel. And yet, what does that mean, the Son of Man coming? Uh, there are a variety of different ideas. Uh, some more critical scholars would say that Jesus meant that his second coming was going to happen before they finished going through the cities of Israel, and he was mistaken about that. I, I, that's not the position that I take. It's not the position that I advocate. I don't think Jesus was mistaken. I think that we have to understand this Son of Man coming as something different. We have to understand that all these things are, are on sort of a sliding scale. So in the first coming, Jesus came in that cave, and he, there was, there was, it, there was a strangeness about his birth. You see, he, he was born in the wrong sort of place. He was born in Bethlehem instead of Rome, where the real leaders would be born. He was born to uh, a young girl, and, and, and it was just very strange. But he comes out of that, and he says to those who will follow him, listen, I'm going to die. And when I die, you'll know that I'm telling you the truth because I'll be resurrected. I will come back to life again. 
And I think that what Jesus is referring to here when he says the Son of Man comes, I think he's referring to his resurrection, which is a sort of type of the second coming, that Jesus has gone away, but he is coming back. And the resurrection is the, the great end to all stories. It was J.R.R. Tolkien who said, the only reason that any story can have a happy ending is because of the resurrection. You see, the resurrection tells us that no matter how dark the year in front of us looks, there's something good that's coming because we trust in the God who controls everything. So this, it, there's a new year, and I, I would be remiss in my responsibilities if I told you that you're not going to have any trouble. There will be some problems. But we trust that these problems will not overwhelm us. Because even though we are sheep, we have a great shepherd. Steve Brown talks about uh, flying on a on a plane, and he doesn't like to fly very much, and like any of us do. And uh, he, the plane is having some rough weather. He's sitting beside an elderly lady, and it's a long, long flight. The plane is going up and down. And he's sweating. It's obviously not a very. It's not the mode of transportation he wanted to be riding at that particular moment. And he said, the the lady said to him, you know, I never get nervous because we're flying toward the sun. I know that no matter how dark it gets, eventually we're going to come out into the light because we're flying toward the sun. And there's a sense in which that's what we are doing in the new year. There may be times when we are in darkness and we don't know what's going to happen, but we are all flying toward the sun. Former presidential candidate John McCain was once asked, if you could see anybody in your life, if you could see anybody again, who would you like to see? And he gave this strange answer. He said, you know, I'd like to see one of my guards at the, the prison camp in which I was kept in Vietnam at the Hanoi Hilton one of the Viet Cong that were guarding me. He he tells this story. He was, as was common during that, what the Viet Cong would do is take prisoners and they would keep them all in solitary confinement and they would uh, often tie them with rope into very, very uncomfortable positions. And they would leave them there like that for hours and hours and hours, just tied up with their arms nearly coming out of their sockets, just terrible, terrible pain. And he said, one day, one of the guards came in and he untied the ropes so that I wouldn't be in that kind of pain. And then... A few minutes before the shift was to change and the other guard, another guard was going to come on, he came back in, he tied me up in that position, and he left me there. And he said, I thought, I thought that strange, but then on, on Christmas Day, the prisoners, all the prisoners of war were allowed to step out of their cells because they had been held in solitary, they weren't allowed to come out. On Christmas Day, they were allowed to step out of their cells. They could see the other prisoners, they could see the guards. 
And he said, who should be walking toward me but that particular guard who had untied me that day? And he said, he walked up beside me, and he took his sandal, and he drew a cross in the sand. And he left it there just for a few minutes, and then he erased it, and he walked away. He said, I will never forget that. You see, that's what Christ calls us to, that we're to share the love of God with those who are around us, that we're to go out in this new year, and whatever our calling might be, that we are to show that there is a God who has come to earth, who has been resurrected, and who makes a difference in our lives. My, my father was a minister, and in one of the, his Bibles, he wrote this. He says, Sorrow sometimes plays a strange song on the heartstrings of life, and they almost break, but for the Christian... They always leave a message of hope. And they do. We end 2010 and begin 2011 flying toward the sun. No matter how dark things might get, let us never forget that we're sheep. There are a lot of wolves out there, but we have a wonderful shepherd to take care of us. Let's pray.